Digital Hospitality. I am your host, Sean Walchef. This is a Cali BBQ Media production. Today is July 1st, 2020, and we have a very special guest, author Brendan Kane, 1 million followers, how I built a massive social following in 30 days. Now, our guest today, um, I, I tend to read a lot because of my grandfather. He was uh, born in a village in Bulgaria, and the only reason he got our family out of that village and out of being farmers for the rest of our lives was his love of learning. His grandfather taught him how to learn. Uh, he read every book in the village. That forced him to go to another village to read more books, and he eventually became a medical doctor in Germany during World War II. Moved our family over, and uh, he raised me. He raised me as his son, and um, I watched him as he finished his medical career he wanted to continue to learn. And every day I'd watch him reading more books on real estate, reading more books on business. Eventually he wrote his own book, his own life story. And um, it's something that's always resonated with me. I picked up Brendan's book. Um, to be honest with you, Brendan, I picked it up by accident. It was something that I have seen it as a recommended book based off of all the other books that I've read. And I avoided it because I thought the hook, which you talk about in the book, was something that it was a hack for social. And I'm disappointed in myself uh, of my own prejudice because once I read the book, I can't tell you how much of an impact it's made on me personally, on my business, on how I look at social. And I'm really excited to have you on the podcast today because um, it's an incredible gift that you've given to the world, all these secrets that you've uh, you've accumulated. And you continue to produce content that helps people understand that the world is digital. On um, this podcast every week, we try to talk to other owners, other people that um, need to understand that our business has to be digital. We have to have an e-commerce component to what we're doing, and we have to create content to drive traffic to our website so that we can sell things. We also have to be hospitable, meaning that one-to-one -one interaction. And it's very hard in the digital world, but that's the things that you talk about in the book. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you for your time, and um, thank you for responding to my Instagram story. Um, I posted that I was reading it, and within two hours, you had sent me an audio file thanking me personally, which means that you do what you preach, um, which is a testament to who you are and the thought leader that you are, and uh, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it, and uh, you know, thanks for checking out the book, even though it was a mistake, and I'm <laughs> here that it had you know, a positive impact, uh, but yeah, it's funny because you know, we spend quite a bit of money on social advertising to advertise the book. And, and uh, you may or may not be shocked at some of the comments that we get from people claiming that I'm a scammer and I'm trying to scam people. And it's like people haven't even read the book and they're making judgments, you know, just off of me and, and the title and all of that stuff. Um, but yeah, it's, it's kind of just uh, fascinating to hear those stories about how people stumble across it and their preconceived assumptions about what it is and what it's about. Well, I mean, I think it's fascinating for me. You know, I'm, I, I follow Gary Vaynerchuk. I consider him a mentor, someone that I've never met, but somebody that I follow his content. Um, you know, I read about him in an entrepreneur article, I don't know, four years ago or something. And it was the first time that I had heard somebody as an entrepreneur, a business leader, talking about social in a way that resonated with how I've kept my restaurant alive. I mean, we opened a restaurant in 2008 in a part of San Diego that everyone said, you'll never make it over there. 
the only reason I attribute to some of our success is the fact that that was the growth of all these apps. You know, that was the growth of Facebook. That was the during the time of Yelp getting popular, during the time of, you know, eventually Instagram came along. But we got on those platforms to help promote what we were doing, not just personally, but also in our village. And for me, listening to Gary and his approach is he goes, his approach is more. He always wants more. You know, it's more content. How do you get on more platforms? And that's something that I've always done, which is something that's resonated with me. I've also been attracted to David Meltzer, who's now my business coach. Um, he's also been on the podcast and he's also playing the long game. Your book is the antithesis of the long game. It is how do I hack and how do I do something within 30 days? But once you read the book, you realize that you are playing the long game. You're playing a game that I respect so much. Once I read that book, I can't tell you it's, um, you know, the beta testing, the actual scientific approach that you take to social. Um, it's so fascinating. And I'd love for you to tell us just a little bit about because you, you're, you're saying that people have that negative reaction when they see your book title, but you made a conscious choice about that book title. You talk about in your book, the AB testing that Tim Ferriss does, which is something that I also resonate with. He's not the same as Gary Vee. He's completely different in his methodical approach to how he's going to pick a book title, to how he's going to market his book, um, to the color of his book. And that's a lot of the things that you do on Facebook running your ads. Can you talk a little bit more about um, your scientific approach to social? Yeah, and, and I first want to say that with social or anything business related, I'm a firm believer there's not one way of doing things. As you mentioned, Gary has a very different approach than I have. I admire Gary greatly. I've spoken on stage with him and I just have a different philosophy and a different approach. And, it's, and I never say this is a right way or a wrong way. And I'm sure you've also seen from the book. It's not just me. I went off and interviewed my top friends and partners, and some of them contradict each other in terms of their approach in the book. But I wanted to do that to provide a well-rounded um, strategy and landscape of what people are doing to be successful. And then you determine what is the right fit for you, you know, because my approach may not be the right fit for somebody and Gary's approach may be better or my approach may be better than Gary's approach for certain people and certain businesses. So I always like to point that out because I can't stand people in the marketplace that are gurus or experts to say this is the only way to do something because it's never that case. It's just like, here's the information. This is what I've learned. This is where we've had success. And here's where other people have had success. Now you make the determination what path is best for you. And I think that's critically important from a mindset perspective to kind of set your, yourself up for long-term success. Um, but as you mentioned, my approach is very scientific in terms of really testing and learning. And you started off the podcast talking about um, reading and learning. And I think it was your father, or your grandfather that read every book to me like the way that I learn is I don't read a lot of books. Like that's not the way that I learn. The way that I learn is by experimenting and by actually experiencing what it's like to do something, which um, is just, it's just the way that I kind of, I can, I can read a book and gleam high level information, but until I do it, I don't really understand it. That's the way my mind works. So that's where the experimentation really works for me to understand 
what happens when you put a piece of content out to a specific audience, when you format it, when you share a specific story, a theme, a structure like that. Um, because the world that we live in today with social media and especially the social advertising platforms, you can be your own market research firm. Like, and you can do it for less than like $10. You can go and test stuff. We live in a, in a time that's unprecedented. So for me, I, and, and I put it in the book, is just a very um, simple three-step process, hypothesis, test, pivot. So, and that's a very scientific method approach. It's, you set a hypothesis, what do I think is gonna work? Then I create a low cost proof of concept that represents that hypothesis. I test it and validate whether or not my hypothesis held true. If it didn't, I start the process over again. Because the biggest thing um, with social media in any aspect of business is you actually have to learn. It's like people will just keep doing the same thing over and over again and just expect something to go viral. And that's one of the, the, the challenges I see with Gary's model, um, not for him and his team, because his team is very analytically driven and they're very smart. But the message of just more, most people will just take that at face value and just keep pushing more and more content across all these platforms, but they're not learning. Right. They're posting and not learning. Why isn't this working? Why is this working? And that's the most important critical part of being successful because I will say that I'm definitely not the smartest person out there, not a rocket scientist, um, but I just out-test everybody and I don't stop until I find the right answer and it still holds true today. We've, I've been in the digital space for 15 years and we're wrong more times than we're right, but we know that we're learning from what's not working and we keep pushing forward. And I think that that's um, a really important thing is like in the I'm rewriting uh, the book right now, uh, a second edition of it, where I start with the mindset part of it because the mindset is the most important thing. And I get so many people that reach out to me on Instagram and saying, oh, if I buy this book, am I going to get a million followers in 30 days? <laughs> like, it's like this. And it's like, listen, all I'm doing is presenting the information. I don't say read this book. You're going to get a million followers in 30 days. I'm saying I generated a million followers in 30 days. This is how I did it, did it. And you can take the information and do with what you want. And there's some people that have been tremendously successful with it. I mean, with it, working with clients and others, seeing case studies, the book and the philosophies have generated tens of millions of followers. And if you count the partners that are featured in it, it's well over a hundred million followers and billions of views. But does that mean that everybody that picks it up and read it is gonna, you know, uh, automatically generate it? No. Is the process simple? Yes. Is it easy? No, because there's variables. You got to put in the work. You got to create the content and all of that. Uh, so that's kind of just the way that my mindset works, and you know how I uh, ex how I do it internally, and working with my clients and how I advise others to to approach it. Well, I mean, I think you know, for me, I I read your book in three days, and typically, you know, I'll read a book in a week. But I, I was so fascinated with it, I, I had to force myself to find extra time so that I could consume it because. Everything that you were talking about, it resonated me, with me in a way that I hadn't looked at before, you know, because I have always posted and I've always posted more and I've always posted on different accounts. But I, I was 
testing based off of the engagement. I wasn't testing the way that you proposed testing, which how you got your 1 million Facebook followers, how you wrote the book. I mean, now you're up to 1.5. I mean, even before this interview, I went on your page and under page transparency, I could see the ads that you're running. And literally you're doing exactly everything that you say that you're doing in the book. I mean, I don't know, it was like 66 active ads promoting the book, but literally different text, different you know colors, different messaging. And I'm guessing your analytical approach is literally understanding this is going to work or this isn't going to work because it's a dark post. Can you explain a little bit more about, about that? Yeah. So a dark post is simply whenever you create an ad on Facebook or Instagram, it's not posting to your main timeline. And the reason is, is because like you said, I've got 66 active ads. If I had 66 active ads in my timeline, it would clutter the feed, come off as spammy, and it would not be a positive experience for uh, followers of your your page. So Facebook and Instagram intelligently created what's called a dark post. So when you create an ad, again, it doesn't post to your timeline, it's kind of running in the background, and then you can dictate who you seed that dark post to. So for, for me, one of the things I also appreciated about the book and the fact that you're updating it is is fantastic because social changes so fast. You know, the book was published in 2018, correct? Yeah, we've updated it since then. So we've did, I think, two minor updates. Mm-hmm. And people always ask me that, is it, is it, you know, and some people say, well, it's in 2018, it's not relevant. It's, it's still relevant. It's very relevant. And in listen, there's some tactical things that will change. But again, what I want to convey is the high level concept of strategy, of testing, of content, how you create it. Because no matter how much the algorithms shift, if you are producing quality content, the algorithms will favor it. Because the algorithms are designed to do one thing and one thing only is keep people on the platform longer. And if you're producing content that people are engaging with and keeping them on the platform longer, they're going to push it to as many people as possible because that's playing towards their goals. Now, some people will say, oh, the algorithms are unfair. They're suppressing my content to make me pay for the reach. That's not the case. They're suppressing your content because it's not triggering the engagement that the algorithms are looking for that triggers it to release it to more and more people. And that's where there's this big misconception and one of the, the frustrating uh, parts for me is um, you people automatically assume the more followers you get, the more engagement you're going to get. And that's just not the case. Mm-hmm. And even with our channels, like w- once sometimes we'll have a video that generates 500,000 views and the next video will generate 5,000 views mm-hmm. with a million followers. And it's not because I have a fake audience or it's um, bots and all that other stuff. It's because the algorithms are searching how do I prioritize the best content? So if you imagine that when you open up Instagram, if you were to open up Instagram right now, there's probably a thousand pieces of content I could see to you based upon all the people you're following and all the content you've engaged with. Mm-hmm. So what does the algorithm have to do? It has to prioritize because it can't seed a thousand pieces of content as soon as you open up your phone. Maybe it's you know 10. So out of a thousand, it has to say, okay, what are the 10 best posts? that I think are gonna keep this individual person on our app longer. And that's the game you're playing today is you're no longer competing against your direct competition. You're competing against LeBron James, Kim Kardashian, The Rock, CNN, uh, ESPN, all of these things for space in those feed for that attention. Uh, so th- that's a big misconception that, that, that a lot of people 
think about social media and uh, it, it's getting harder. But again, if you can create content, the algorithms will be so favorable to you and you'll start getting more reach than you have followers. And that's where you get that exponential growth. Can you talk more about content? Because I know you uh, content is is it's key to what you do, what people do digitally and how it can really unlock all kinds of possibilities for brands, um, especially, you know, for someone like you that's worked with Taylor Swift and Rihanna and the Katie Couric. I mean, the work that you've done for these incredible public figures and celebrities and Fortune 500 companies, it's beyond impressive. You could have wrote a book just based off of that work. But what you did was even more compelling because you turned the camera, you turned the content onto you personally, which is terrifying because what if that didn't work? What if people didn't resonate with Brendan Kane? What if they said, you know, maybe maybe this the scientific approach isn't going to work and maybe people aren't going to follow me, then I'm not going to get the book deal and I'm not going to publish the book. And maybe I have to go back and retest the hypothesis. Was there an element of fear of, of putting that content back onto who you are? Well, there's always an element of fear of self-doubt. I mean, that's just ingrained into me since childhood. Uh, but it was a lack of, so the way that my mind works is when I'm in the build mode, I don't even think about that stuff. I just do it. <laughs> First off, when I generated a million followers in 30 days, it wasn't a matter of if, it was a matter of why I should do it and should I do it. Uh, so there was never any doubt of whether I could do it. Uh, same thing with building a million followers on, on Instagram. It was, I had no clue how I was going to do it, but I figured out a way to do it. Uh, but there's all, always a tremendous amount of self-doubt. And there's a lot of people out there that don't like the message, that don't like the book. And you have to be prepared for that. Now, it's not an overwhelming. I think it's um, probably less than 5% of the feedback that we get. But the bottom line is, and my literary agent told me this from the beginning, is if you don't have a negative response, you're probably not doing something right. Because yeah. nobody ever gets a positive response. And to me, it's less about uh, you know, what is the response am I getting? And am I really putting out the best information that's going to help the most people? That's where my self doubt comes in and it comes in all the time, but you have to push through that and you cannot let fear dictate and control the decisions that you make and in pursuing the goals that you're going out. Now, does that mean that, that you're going to be perfect and you're not going to make mistakes and stumble across the way? No, we make plenty of mistakes and we stumble and we learn from it, but it's really that, mindset that I am going to go through regardless of what people are going to say and do what I feel is right and, you know, put the best information out there. And if people like it, great. If they don't like it, that's fine. Like it was, it was interesting. I got like one, you know, comment on one of our ads that said, you know, Gary V's better. <laughs> I was like, okay, I admire Gary Vee, and if he's better than go spend time you know, reading his book and reading his content and commenting that on my ad. Like, it's supposed to offend me. Like, Gary Vee's an amazing entrepreneur, sure. but it's like, am I going to stop because you told me Gary Vee's better? Like, how is that, like, yeah. that going to really prevent me? And, you know, also people that post ads and saying, you know, your your followers are fake or um, you know, you're a scammer or things like that. There are people who haven't read the book or or dove yeah. in, and even if they did read the book and didn't like it, it's just like, okay, w w am I gonna stop because I get positive responses and like connecting with people like you? Is there's always gonna be some type of negative, 
uh, to whatever you put out into the world. And some people don't realize it. I mean, I received death threats in the past month. Really? Oh, yeah. We get crazy people. Based off of a piece of content or based off of your message? Just my message and people, certain people just not liking it. And they didn't get the million followers that they thought they should. No, I don't think it it was that. It's just they're, you know, with COVID happening, I think it's caused, you know, as soon as COVID happened and the lockdown happened, the the amount of comments and volatility just increased dramatically, which I can understand. And, um, you know, a lot of times you've got to understand, and Gary Vee does a great video on this about haters is have compassion for them. Yeah. Because they're reacting not to what you're doing, but something that's going on in their life. Yeah. Uh, and and that's a big thing. So a roundabout way to a- answering y- your question is, uh, is there fear? Is there self-doubt? Yes. Um, but you have to push through it and not let it hold you back if you're really passionate about doing something. Yeah. And I think that's a great point. You know, for for us as a restaurant, if we didn't have tough skin and we let the bad negative one star Yelp reviews get to us, we would never push through Yelp as a platform and respond to those negative comments, but also get to the point where we're responding to every comment, which leads to more positive comments because it's who we are. It's what we do. And I would ignore the platform, which I know a lot of other restaurant owners do because of the nature of it's typically a one star or a five star. There's very little in between on Yelp. And that's just the way the platform's built. But we know that it's an incredible tool for us to drive people to our restaurant. We have proof of people calling our restaurant, asking for directions on their own platform, which is highly valuable for us. One of the things you talk about is shareability. And I'd love for you to talk about the shareability factor for digital, but also the shareability factor for when you produce a book. Because when you produce something that's of value to someone like me, I've already recommended the book at least to 10 different people, high profile people that I truly respect and admire and appreciate their time. So if I'm making a recommendation to them, it's based off of, hey, this is fucking important. Please read this book. That has got to help drive sales, but it also helps drive what your thesis is, which is what you talk about in the book, the shareability factor. Yeah. I mean, first off, thank you for recommending the book. I I really appreciate it. And yes, shareability is really at the crux of what the potential of social and digital platforms are. Because if you if you take a step back and look at 20 years ago, how did you share information? You shared it in person. Like you could only share, like for example, when you share my book, you can only share it when you're at dinner with somebody or you're having a conversation. Today, you can send it via text, you can send it via email, you can, uh, you can share the ad, you can comment on the ad, you can tag people in it. So what the real opportunity is, and I'm not saying it's easy, shareability is hard, but there's different levels of shareability. For a small business like yourself in a restaurant, getting 50 people to share your restaurant could mean a huge meaningful impact in your business yeah. versus if you're trying to become the next Taylor Swift, you know, you got to get a hundred thousand people to, to share it, to have a meaningful impact. Um, but think back and it's, it's almost looking at what do you share? and Why do you share it? You know, there, there's um, a book by Jonah Berger called 
contagious. And he breaks down virality and why people share it. He spent 15 years in the space. And, you know, there's certain reasons that people share content. It moves them emotionally. You know, it makes them it makes them angry. It makes them sad. It makes them excited. It makes them happy. It moves them on an emotional level. I saw this all the time with Katie Couric, especially when we were doing the 2016 election. Politics will move people to share stuff like no tomorrow, both because of a positive and a negative reaction. Then there's another element to shareability, social currency. As I'm sharing this piece of content in the same way that you're sharing the book, less so on an emotional level, but because it provides social currency, you're providing valuable information to somebody else. And by you attaching yourself to a message or a piece of content, it's almost as if you created it yourself on a subconscious level. You're associating that share with, Hey, I'm the first person to share this with my inner circle. So it makes me look smarter. It makes me look better. And I'm adding value to that society and that culture that I am, I'm living in. And so those are kind of just from a, a psychological perspective. And a lot of the work that we do, and if you remember the process communication model yes. section, we study a lot about human behavior, human psychology. Why do people do certain things? What triggers them to share something, to buy something, to click on something? And I think most people, when they're designing content, where they fail is they're designing content about how they perceive the world and what they want to say, not how somebody else perceives the world and what other people want to hear. Yes. And and if you don't design content in that context of I'm thinking about the other person in their feed, in whatever circle or uh, environment they're in, ultimately it's 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 going to fail uh, because you're thinking too much about me, 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 me. And this is the same approach uh, that I take offline as an online is like people ask, well, how do you get MTV as a client? How do you get Taylor Swift or Katie Kirk as clients is because I'm going in to understand who this person is, how they perceive the world, how they perceive their challenges. And then I provide value through that lens. So like I never go into and I hate the word pitch. I think it's the worst word to go (laughs) off I I, I, because pitch connotates. I'm going to go in and sell you something. Yes. And the value that I I have had and the reason I've had success and it play again, this place for social and a place for offline is how do I understand who I'm communicating with, whether it's one person or a million people? Where is their head at? What are they experiencing? What are the challenges and obstacles and how can I communicate effectively a solution to their challenge uh, in a way that that resonates with them? And if you do that, then you have that ultimate positive response of getting people to share. And you know, it, it's like some people will go down the route of like adding, you know, share this or tag your friend in it. And that stuff doesn't really work. It's like the content, I'm not gonna say it never works, um, but the, the content on its own will spark it. Whether it's a video, an image, a book, a podcast, is if you connect with somebody and they feel like you're communicating directly to them, that will spark the shareability around your brand and your content. Yeah, I think that's, you know, I mean, when you when I look at it through my own lens of the things that I share, I think it's definitely the best way to go about the, the, the issue of, of creating content that's shareable, because if I like it, then there's a reason why I like it. There's a reason why I want it to share it. Right. Because those are all the things that we hold dear in our heart or something that compels me 
that resonates with me in a story in a way that actually has an impact the same way that I would want to recommend a book, the same way that I want to recommend music, the same way I want to recommend something I watched on Netflix. Um, for me, I, I'd love for you to talk about your experience working with Taylor Swift and what you learned on the one-to-one communication. And obviously she's gotten past that point, but one-to-one is so important in the things that we talk about on a weekly basis on this podcast for digital hospitality is you cannot ignore digital communication in this day and age. The brands that are understanding all these digital platforms are ways to communicate in a way that sets you apart from the competition. If I respond to a Facebook message for our restaurant, the chances are I'm probably one out of 10 restaurant owners that's actively doing that and especially as the owner doing that. So when somebody knows, oh, wow, they actually responded within an hour of my, my request and gave me the, the link that I needed so I didn't have to go through and find it, it's powerful for them. It's powerful when I respond to a tweet. It's powerful when I respond to a Yelp review. Um, it sets us apart. Does it scale? No, it doesn't scale. But we have to figure out ways to personalize that automation. Can you talk about just Taylor Swift and what she did? Yeah, I think the, the the brilliant part of Taylor and the reason she's so successful is first understanding that it wasn't a big record label or huge marketing budgets that allowed her to to scale to where she's at today. It's it was her own initiative. And you know, the brilliant aspect of what she understood and did that made her so effective was she understood the power of fostering that one-to-one communication with fans, whether it was responding to a comment online, taking a photograph, signing it, uh, an autograph for fans. She understood that not only did it turn that fan into a fan for life, but it turned that fan into a brand advocate. And um, because she was doing that uh, from the very earliest days, uh, it, she built an army of brand advocates. And then when it came to a point where uh, it couldn't scale to the level of doing it for every fan, then she took it even a step further of showing up at birthday parties, bridal showers, weddings, turning that into content and in releasing that content, not to manipulate people, but to show that she cares about her fans. If she doesn't have the, and she doesn't have the ability now to say thank you to every single fan individually, the next best thing is, okay, well, let's, you know, surprise some fans, show that I care about them, release that content to then just demonstrate to the fans is like, listen, I may not, and she doesn't say this exactly, but she's expressing it through this message. I may not be able to reach each one individually, but I still care about you. I still appreciate you. I still, um, you know, want you to be a part of my family, uh, so to speak. And, you know, it's the same thing, like the analogy of what you started out with is of how we connected is you posted on your IG story about the book. I responded with a voice message because I appreciate it. It's not me gaming the system. I wasn't asking you for anything or or like that. But that's how you can cultivate those relationships and, and scale off of it. And also, you mentioned about customer service. Just think about experiences that you've had in the past with customer service where you buy something, you don't get the level of support that you're looking for and it frustrates you it angers you it makes you feel helpless and uh again it's just the more touch that you can have with your customers uh, demonstrating that you appreciate it demonstrating that you care the more your brand is you know going to grow the more the the level of shareability is is going to grow around your content and around your brand 
yeah, I think that's, you know, the, the analogy that we, we say in the restaurant is nobody wants to be ignored. You know, you never want to be ignored when you walk into a restaurant. There's always the, the proverbial please seat yourself hostess sign that everyone's walked into. There's a reason why there's that sign there, and it's, it's there to reduce labor cost. So during the peak hours, there'll be a host that'll help seat somebody at, at during the table. But because full service restaurant models, there's very thin margins. There's a please seat yourself sign. But please seat yourself is the is the antithesis of hospitality. Hospitality is where you feel welcome, where somebody's welcoming you and they care about who you are, what your needs are. They're listening. They're empathetic. And that hospitality happens in real life for businesses, the businesses that win. And then it happens digitally, too, because if you're ignored digitally, you might as well be ignored walking into a restaurant. And I think that that's a good a good analogy is is that it's very short sighted for a business to put up that sign. I understand the logical thinking is my margins are are small. So I've got to put the seat yourself up sign in in my restaurant because I can't afford to pay somebody. But let's just say for the next three months, you're going to pay somebody to do that. And what does that do to the experience of the consumer and the correlative effect of them going to Yelp and adding a positive review, coming back more times from a retention and a repeat visitor standpoint? What does that do for the tips to the waiters and the waitresses? What does it do for them recommending your restaurant to other people? And that's, again, people aren't looking at the bigger picture. And that's where Taylor Swift looked at the bigger picture. And she said, this is how I'm going to grow my brand. This is how I'm going to foster my fan base and make sure that they care. And the same thing applies for a restaurant is I understand there's financial restrictions. I understand that there's small margins, but you're not looking at the larger picture, the larger implication of having somebody greeting you, having somebody taking care of you versus just having a sign in front of your restaurant. Yeah, no, it's we, we about three years into our business, Eric, my general manager and I, we made a conscious decision to remove that sign and to pay for the hostess to always whenever we were open, we were going to have a hostess right at the front of the door and it transformed our business. Did it make us less profitable? Yes, but it also kept us in business. It also helped us learn things that we would have never learned otherwise. And it gave us this emphasis on hospitality that we now take digitally as well, because it's that important. It's that important not to ignore people, especially people that are already engaging with your brand, because there's so many different places that they can go. You know, that that's that's the truth of the matter. Um, Katie Couric, I, I definitely want to talk to you about your strategic approach to her interviews, kind of how she why she brought you on, but then how you transformed beta testing the certain questions that she was going to ask during her interview to target certain fans to help build her social following. Yeah, I initially got introduced to Katie right after she made the move from uh, television to a digital first strategy with Yahoo. And there's a huge difference between a digital first strategy and a television distribution strategy. Television, you know, she's known for being on the Today Show that there's an ingrained human behavior, consumption behavior um, built in. It's habitual. As people would wake up in the morning, they're making breakfast, uh, they're making their coffee, they turn on the Today Show, there's Katie giving them the news. Uh, So there wasn't really a fight for audience because it was a part of somebody's daily routine. Versus you go to a digital first strategy, that habitual nature is completely broken. 
um, because there is so much other content that's being seeded to you. You're fighting against the algorithms. You're fighting against all this stuff uh, where people may have the intent of tuning into her Instagram account or YouTube account, but they're not getting seeded content in the in the algorithm. So she was getting suppressed and, and really struggling. Uh, so I looked at kind of the holistic strategy of how they were approaching interviews and uh, just saw that there needed to be a reinvention of how you approach interviews for digital platforms. Uh, and the way that I envisioned it was that you don't start with questions. And that's where people start with um, whether it's a podcast interview or any type of interview is they start with the questions that you want to ask. Yeah. And I just noticed that in the data that typically that'll fall flat because if you ask a question, you can give somebody the ability to get out of that question or not answer it or not answer it in a way that's really going to evoke some type of response to increase the likelihood of somebody sharing it. So what we decided to do was flip it on its head and say, okay, instead of a question, what is the outcome look like of the interview? What are the the ultimate clips uh, that we think or subject lines that we think are going to get people to stop in their feed, watch the video, and then share it? So instead of starting with the questions, we started with what we call a hook point of getting people to pay attention in the first three seconds and you know just reverse engineered it. So the first ever interview that we did together was with the actress Elizabeth Banks. And with Elizabeth Banks, she was in the movie franchise, the Hunger Games movie franchise, Pitch Perfect, and she was a feminist advocate. So I said, okay, what we're going to do is we're not going to start with the questions. We're going to think about the the audience of each of those um, three subject matters, and we're going to design hook points for each one of um, envisioning a Hunger Games fan opening up their app, envisioning a Pitch Perfect fan opening up the app, envisioning a feminist advocate opening up the app. And what is going to make them stop in the feed? Yeah. Watch that clip. Uh, and so that's what we did is we designed hook points for each one of those audiences. She went off, shot the interview. Um, and then I was delivered the 30 minute interview. And then I went back and cut out those individual clips that were the hooks. And then I went through my testing methodology and packaging. Like I think Elizabeth Banks, we probably had 15 clips from that. And then I take those 15 clips and package them in hundreds of different ways to give us more chances to win and more chances to learn. And we just saw it, it dramatically increased our performance from a shareability standpoint and increased our position in the algorithms because they saw people were actually stopping watching a majority of it. And I would just sit there and A-B test you know, these 500 variations against each other in, in real time until we would dwindle it down to like three or four winning variations. And then when we had those winning variations that we say, okay, you should go to Yahoo to watch the rest of the interview. And that process I used uh, for about 220 interviews with Katie Couric, ranging from DJ Khalid to Chance the Rapper to Joe Biden to Dolly Parton uh, across the board. And we tested about 76,000 variations of content uh, around that. And it resulted uh, in a huge reduction of, of cost savings from a, a traffic acquisition. And, uh, you know, it was resulted in about a billion uh, global platform uh, views across all the platforms that we were, you know, running these uh, interviews across. I mean, that's incredible. I think it's very powerful because it takes Katie herself willing to move outside of herself because she has her own interview style, right? She, she's built her career as a journalist, as somebody that's well-respected, that 
but to look at it and reverse engineer it and to trust you with the process is a huge testament to her and her team to really bring you in to understand that digital is different. Producing content for digital is different to understand that shareability factor. Yeah, I mean, she she's wicked smart. And I mean, it's the reason that she's had the success that she's had. And it was also it can be clearly seen in the data. Yeah, clearly seen in before and after of how it worked. Now, it was a hybrid. It wasn't like Katie just threw everything out her experience. Uh, and oftentimes I would come up with hooks that she didn't feel comfortable doing or she didn't tackle, which was fine. And it was also I, you know, from a mindset perspective, when I first started working with her, I said, the process that we're developing is we're never going to fall in love with a single interview and we're not going to force a single interview to work. If it doesn't work, it's fine. It's a part of the process and we'll learn from it and, and uh, use those learnings for the next interview and just keep learning and iterating and learning and iterating to the point where I could, you know, work with her to really predict by the end, you know, what hook points really have the best chance of success because we were sitting on so much data. Mm-hmm. So for somebody that's wanting to start to create content that understands that their business um, might might have been an offline business, but they understand that now they need to have a website. Now they need to start investing more in social, start caring about building a Facebook following. <laughs> One of the things that drives me nuts is when people they have prejudices based off of different platforms. Oh, I don't like Facebook because that's just where old people are or, you know, Instagram's not working or, you know, I don't like Twitter. I don't like what number one, what's your advice to people as far as I know every business is different and every brand is different. Um, but as far as approaching creating content for social, what would your advice be to approach this huge, this this huge world that we live in, where there's TikTok and all kinds of different platforms that are available? Where, where would you start? I would first start with the platform that you use the most on a daily basis, uh, because there's so much of a learning experience that you have to go through, and if you don't use the platform yourself, how the hell are you going to design content for it? Uh, and that's and that's, you know, when I did Facebook, I lived and breathed Facebook for three years. When I did Instagram, I lived and breathed Instagram for two years. Now I'm getting into YouTube and I'm living and breathing YouTube. I'm consuming a ton of content on that platform. You have to be a student. And if you're if you have preconceived judgments about a platform, ask yourself why. Is it a real judgment or is it is it a, a judgment based off of somebody else's experience or with your experience, if it didn't work for you, were you really taking the approach of iterating and learning and testing? Uh, That's first and foremost. Secondarily, what I recommend, especially if you're an offline business and, and you're looking to generate more customers, I always recommend start with paid advertising first mm-hmm. and generate revenue, get sales in the door. You know, when I work with small businesses or people that be like, I need to make money tomorrow. I was like, okay, that's fine, but we're not going to focus on follower growth right now. We're going to focus on transactional campaigns where we can effectively measure our, 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 our ROI on it to know if it's working or not. Uh, because if you're not measuring your return on investment, your return on ad spend, uh, you're going to have a very difficult time struggling. Can followers correlate to revenue? Yes, it can. And there's some people that are very successful with it, but it's not like, hey, I generate a follower today and tomorrow they're going to start buying from me. That's just not typically how it works. In addition to the fact um, you're dealing with the organic algorithms, which is a whole nother beast to kind of tackle. So 
if you are a business, an offline business, or if you're any business and you're like, I just want to sell more product. I want to generate more leads. I want to generate more customers. Start with paid advertising. It's it's quick to get up. You can generate learnings quickly and you know get to a place where you bring revenue in the door. And then once you have revenue in the door, then you can look at, look at that longer term play of do I re- invest in followers? Do I invest in the organic content? Um, because it's much harder to just, oh, I'm going to gener- generate a bunch of followers first and then, you know, you know, just it's automatically going to start turning into money right away. Can that happen? Yes. Does it typically happen that way? No. Um, and, and that's the way that I approach it. And again, it's like my book, you know, is about how I generate a million followers in 30 days. But the principles in the book don't just apply to that. And, you know, I break that down, but we cover targeting we cover e-commerce and how this all plays together um for for the benefit of a business growth and revenue growth yeah i think you know i I had mentioned to you in an email exchange between us that this was the first time that when i go to social to post i actually stopped myself and i went to facebook ads manager first which is something that i've always run ads but never the way that you suggested in the book and the way that you lay out the Facebook bid amount and not to overspend on the bid amount um, was so powerful to me because it also breaks down all the different testing that you can do. And I've run it, I've run a practice for myself, my own internal test for five different ads based off of driving just traffic to our online sales for barbecue. And I can see some of the ads perform way way better than others, and then now I can go back in and reach rechange that ad. And I think it's it's an incredible gift that you've given um, the amount of work that you did, and it's all summed up so well in the book. Plus, you have resources that you continue to put out content. You know, it, it's not just the book is done and now now Brendan's done. He walks off the stage. Like, no, you're continuing to go out there, appear on podcasts. Um, it, it's. I really appreciate it, and um, I, I true I truly know that you're making a huge impact, and you're continuing to make a, a huge impact. The book is more relevant today than probably it was in 2018, and I know it's going to continue to get relevant. And you're updating it, which is super exciting. When's the next edition going to come out? I think it's going to be. I mean, it's going to be in stores in October, but it's done now, so we'll probably start syndicating it out to people in the next few weeks uh, to our direct list and you know to people that are on my newsletter and, and things of that nature. Uh, but I also want to comment on what you just said because I want to I want people to know that that the the purpose of what I say in the book is not to say necessarily you have to use ads manager and test with ads. Mm-hmm. It's more that that's one approach that we use to testing. The biggest takeaway that I want people to have is just, and you had the perfect, you had the perfect analogy is before I posted something, I stopped. Then I went to ads manager. But even if you don't go to ads manager is like, stop yourself and like write down, why am I posting this piece of content and why do I think it's going to work? And then once it's posted, if it works, was it because you thought of why it worked or if it didn't work, then you don't get upset about it and bummed, but write down, okay, what is it about this piece of content that that didn't work? And for the next piece of content, what am I going to test next to see if I can improve that performance? Because it's, again, people are just posting blindly and they're posting multiple times a day because they feel like they they have to put out content. And, you know, part of that is, you know, the message from from Gary Vee and also what social media used to be back in the day 
of you know post you know frequency is the key to success but the algorithms have shifted and again i'm not saying like um, you know, with Gary Vee and his content, his team is learning from it. So for yeah. the amount of content he's putting out, I know he's got smart people on his team measuring it. But for other people that are just posting as much content on all these other platforms, they're just pushing it out there, not stopping and thinking, not tracking the performance, not trying to iterate and learn. That's where I have the problem. And as I, I always tell people, don't put out a piece of content because you feel like you have to put out a piece of content. Put out a piece of content because you believe in it or because you are going to learn something from it. That, um, it, like I said, you you changed so much of, of what I thought by by reading your book, by by me getting over my own prejudice on the on the book title. Um, I, I truly, Brendan, I truly appreciate what you're doing. Um, well, what's next for you? Outside of updating the book, what what's what are your big your big goals? My next book's going to be out in a few weeks, so that's been a huge focus. Um, that's the direction I'm going in, and you know where I feel like I can you know help the most people. And that book's called Hook Point: How to Stand Out in a Three Second World, because it's you know I I don't care if I'm dealing with somebody who just graduated from college or somebody that's a billionaire. People are really struggling with the fact that we live in this micro attention world and, and finding ways to stand out and differentiate yourself above the noise. Because as I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, we're no longer competing against our direct competition. You're competing against every other piece of content that's put out every day, which presents a, a huge opportunity, but it's a it's a big challenge. And that's where I feel like I can have the biggest impact with people and in, in helping them pursue their career goals and aspirations is really how to differentiate themselves in, in any market um, that, that's very crowded. Uh, again, whether you're just starting from scratch or you're looking, you're a billion dollar company and you're looking to, to, to scale to five billion, it's same principles. Uh, so that's been, you know, a really big focus. And, you know, we're diving in in very deeply into the direct response marketing world, um, you know, through my book and through other stuff. Uh, in, in applying our testing methodologies and our organic content experience and applying it to paid and marrying the two to see you know, dramatic results for ourselves and for the clients that we work with. Well, I, um, I can't thank you enough for your time. I know our listeners are going to find it very valuable. Um, I know plenty of people I'm going to be recommending. I can't wait to get the Hook Point book. When is that going to be available? Uh, so it launches, it's up, it's for pre-order on Amazon now, it releases August 4th, but again, for people that sign up for my newsletter and stuff, we're going to get them early access and they'll probably be in two weeks. Uh, well, those people will get first, first access to it. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for the, your gifts that you're giving to the, the digital world. And, um, you know, like I said, I, I, you made such a profound impact on me, not just by writing the book, but um, the things that you you give away in the book, the content that you your your vulnerability, plus your ability to to walk the walk. I mean, you you walk the walk in the one to one. The fact that we can even sit down and have this podcast, um, it, it it means the world to me. You're 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 a true inspiration. So thank you. No, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Have, have a great one. Uh, please follow Brendan Kane, Facebook, Instagram, um, and check out his new book, Hook Point and One Million Followers. Um, it'll, it'll, it'll change the way you do social for sure. 